Rogue Radio. Now available on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com forward slash rogue country. Keep it rogue. Hey guys, of course, go listen to Rogue Radio. I am doing some guest sets on there, spinning the music I love and the music hopefully you love. So go check out Rogue Country and Rogue Radio over on Mixcloud. I am stoked to tell you that me and Luke Hendrickson, who was a previous guest on this podcast and the writer of a phenomenal album, One Night at the Crystal Lounge, we're going on tour together in the UK across April and May 2022. We've announced a few dates. Head over to my website to find out more, get your tickets, and we're going to be announcing more shows down the line. I'm super hyped for this and can't wait to see you all on the road. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. We're up to episode 31 now, and thank you so much for listening. Obviously, you know, this wouldn't be happening without you guys listening, so I really appreciate it. If you enjoy this podcast, please go leave it a review. Tell someone that you enjoy it. Send it through WhatsApp or wherever you want to send it to someone and just say, hey, you might like this because I do. That'll be a huge fucking help to me, and I really appreciate it. I've been listening to some music lately. Alexis May just dropped a new EP, which is phenomenal. You should go check it out. Uh, Mortifero have dropped a phenomenal EP, Death Ballads. Go check that out. And of course, today's episode is brought to you by The Next Life, my record, out on vinyl, out on CD, out on digital. I'm going to drop a teaser for you here. I've done, say a father to son, and live this worldly view cold. Do what you can and love what you do, for it's a long and lonely road. It's a long and lonely road. It's a long and lonely road. There's a difference between money and will It's never the power, it's never the title Never the money itself Never the money itself And if you dig it, please go check it out. Go listen to the record pickup if you'd like. Message me if you want a free digital download. Just give me a shout and I will send you over a code for Bandcamp. I got to talk to Matt from Silo. Silo is a hardcore country band playing metal and country music and fusing it together in a way that I just fucking love. If you like my music, if you like, you know, the heavier side of things, you're going to fucking love these guys. Glitter and Gold is their record. It's phenomenal. And me and Matt sat down and talked about writing it, how he got into Silo, how that went from just sitting on his couch, reading a Craigslist advert to what it is now. It's phenomenal, it's inspiring, and I really hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, this is episode 31 of Into the Van with Mike West and Silo. Welcome to Into the Van with me, Mike West. Cool, man. So we're rolling now. And before we get into, you know, hardcore country and stuff itself, what's kind of your origin story as like the singer for Silo? Where did your roots kind of begin? Who were your early influences? 
that's a great, great question. Um, my background was always kind of in classic rock. Mm. Um, a lot of a lot of British, you know, early pop. You know, they call it the British Invasion, but I don't know if, um, you know, that was something that had had influenced me super early on. Um, just because I think the songwriting was so simple and so yeah. clean and, you know, it was, um, a lot of that. And then as thing, you know, as I got older, the music got harder. I started <laughs> listening to more, um, God, Sabbath, you know, Ozzy listening to, you know, kind of really delving into how Zeppelin grandfathered a lot of metal, yeah. um, but my tastes were so eclectic growing up in Colorado and in New Mexico, my, you know, family and grandparents lived on farms and we'd drive around and listen to Johnny Cash and Merle Haggard and uh, Willie Nelson, Patsy Cline. So I had a very diverse musical mm. background. Um, and I was always musical and started taking um, piano and guitar lessons quite early on. I was horrible at them because I'm mildly dyslexic and I can't mm. read music very well. So it's just, it, you know, but if someone says, you know, of the eight chords, play this note, I can yeah. find a chord and that's about the extent of it. So, uh, which has come in handy for silo, but, uh, and then throughout my you know, adolescent years and getting into, um, young adulthood, it was a lot of guns and roses slipknot. I started to get into heavier thing, Metallica, um, you know, kind of the, the, the big names, yeah. you know, the big commercial metal names in rock and just appreciate all of it because I was a guitar player. I always wanted to play electric guitar in a rock band, you mm. know, and from that, um, I just started writing music and playing songs. And I, up until about, you know, six, nine months ago, I was just a, a, living room singer songwriter playing songs on an acoustic very mm. a la johnny cash you know sort of the man in black the one man show kind of kind of deal and sure as sure as shit as soon as the pandemic hit um i was out of work i was selling mercedes benz uh as a car salesman and doing a little bit of marketing work on the side to throw my name at it mm. and um i was cruising craigslist in the middle of last summer which I've never done. I've never like looked for other musicians, but I was like, it'd be kind of fun to play in a band, you know, kind of just see what's out there. Mm. And there was not a lot. And so I stopped looking about a month later. I was like, let me check again. <laughs> and I see this ad that says, we're looking for somebody interested in singing hardcore country, you know, or slash country metal. And I, I was like, well, wait a minute, what's this? So I click on it and these guys have a picture of, Samuel L. Jackson in a cowboy hat photoshopped on an Alan Jackson album cover. And the title is country music, motherfucker. Do you sing it? <laughs> and it was like, we're interested in somebody who's, uh, who wants to do a cross between like Luke Bryan meets Beartooth, I think mm. was the, the line they sort of pitched it. And I was like, well, shit, if there was going to be two, two genres that I was going to match together, like that was going to be it. So I said, I, this is funny enough. I at least have to reach out to these guys. So mm. I sent an email to Brian and uh, we jumped on a Zoom call and just sort of chatted for a little bit. And he said, you know, the, the idea for this band, this hardcore country thing has 
been around in his mind for about 10 years, mm. maybe a little bit longer. Um, and he's just never really kind of gotten it, got it right. You know, it's, the rest of the, the band are all, you know, seasoned touring musicians and recording artists and producers and stuff. Um, so they have a little bit more of a background in that. And I didn't, so I didn't really know what to expect, but he said, we're going to be, um, recording an album, shooting videos, you know, is this all kind of something you're comfortable doing if we just pull the trigger on it? And I'm like, well, yeah, let's, let's go. What else mm. am I going to be doing during yeah. quarantine and, and all this? So, uh, he flew to Denver and we hit the studio the first day that I met him. You know, they picked me up in the car and we all went to the studio, did a song, listened to it and said, that sucks. Mm. What that's, was the, that's, was that like a new song that they'd had back then? What was the first song you recorded that? Yeah. So the first song was um, a, a tune called Old Dirt Road, which mm. was more of a proof of concept, I, I feel. Mm. They wanted to kind of combine the two and it came across more like college radio, pop punk, you know, with just singing about old dirt roads, like that kind of thing. Yeah. And it worked, but we were like, ah, I don't know. It just wasn't it. You know, the lyrics were actually written by a previous friend of theirs that had done a demo for them just to kind of prove the concept of that song. And so we took, you know, the second idea and uh, really kind of put it all together for the first time as a group of guys which was a lot of fun and it happened to be a recording that Brian did just a horrible, horrible demo, man, like horrible. And it was 10 years old and I'm listening to this thing and I'm like, well, shit, I guess it's time for me to start writing some words and step up to the plate and, and mm. do this thing. So the guys are in cutting the music and we record in a recording studio out on a farm. It's in a barn I don't know if there's horses and goats and it smells like manure. Every, like it's legit. There's, yeah. there's a dust and a patina that comes kind of from that, that I don't think we could really get anywhere else. Um, and this all ties in, but we right after lunch on that first day with old dirt road, then we went in and cut a song called shit and get like, get your shit and get. Mm -hmm. And we wrote some words to it. And uh, Brian out of nowhere goes, girl, I want you, I need you, I love you. And I was like, whoa, okay. That became the first line for it. And then eventually that song became Glitter and Gold, mm. which was our first single and the title of the, the debut album. Um, an interesting story about that real quick is that that was inspired by one of the other band members, Adrian, who's one of our uh, guitar, guitar gurus. Mm. Um, he had a stripper ex-wife that nobody's fond of anymore. Mm. And so that was sort of where this story came about of like being held behind, you're living this other life, you know, all of that glitter ain't gold kind of, kind of thing. And so that was the inspiration. And that was where once we finally listened to the first demo of Glitter and Gold, we looked at each other and said, well, shit, we might have a band. You know, this actually sounds kind of, kind of good. Mm. kind of what we had in mind it's very banjo and then it you know you get a little country voice and then it just slams you with a scream and a, and a and a rock intro and we're like that's exactly it in the first 30 seconds of that song you know exactly what you're getting mm. and so we felt like we achieved it so on the drive back to denver we were literally riding down the highway just saying random shit like band name bud light truck band name gas station band name lot lizard band name silo and everybody kind of went hmm you know 
there's that that has a nice ring to it let's look it up and of course you can't name a band really anything without a bunch of numbers that someone else hasn't already tried yeah but we were like hey no one's really touched this for quite a while it's kind of you know it's not anywhere in our arena it's perfect because of like a farm silo and a grain silo and uh brian quickly did the little mock-up of the logo with the bandana paisley on it and that was the story within a month of knowing these guys we Mm. were on a soundstage and i'm recording the video with a stripper pole and a girl in gold paint and hay bales and a gold telecaster so it's been a complete whirlwind um so that's sort of my background and how i got into to the band with all these guys Mm. um yeah yeah that's crazy just like the time that happens because i know from my own experience with bands they can be such a slow move and behemoth of like trying to get everyone on the same page but this seems like the rare thing of lightning in a bottle everyone's on the same page everyone's equally motivated and it's just go without question mm-hmm. um and i i don't know how to express that other than i'm just grateful yeah um i, I started out as a writer <clears throat> and was in my early 20s trying to sell screenplays and novels and stuff and I had people telling me, oh, you guys are, you know, you're going to be the next big thing. You're going to be on the next hot list for writing this movie. Oh, we want, we've dropped your name to this person. And it just never materialized. It mm. was always trying to catch water in your fingers. And so I grew up a little jaded after that, you know, really kind of not trusting when people were too flattering, yeah. if you will. And the the nice thing about these guys is that they've all been in bands they've been with the egos and none of them are like that this is very much a mutual admiration society and they're all a few years older than me so that kind of comes with the maturity that i have to you know step up with too Mm -hmm. but in terms of lightning in a bottle you couldn't be more correct you know it literally was these two guys that have been friends for a long time and played in a band and they said let's try this hardcore country thing they find me on craigslist you know, within a couple of weeks, we have a producer and a studio who is now our fourth and full-time band member, Eric. Uh, he liked the project so much that he joined the band. And I've never heard of <laughs> nice. a producer doing that. So it's <laughs> kind of crazy. Uh, yeah. And then literally it's music video one. We shot War Paint video in November, October, November, I, th- I think of just last year. Um, all I remember is it was very cold and I hung upside down for four <laughs> hours um yeah it has been a true whirlwind and then we released the album on valentine's day this year february 14th um and it's just been kind of playing catch up ever since you know we're really excited to get brian's moving to denver where the rest of us are staged in the metro area Mm. and we're very much looking forward to in the next couple of months really kind of picking up and ramping up you know our content strategy and getting a lot of videos done and you know we're in the studio all the time still working on the second record right now so yeah, yeah man it has been such a an explosive yeah you know start especially first i've never been in a real band before so that's mm. where it's really kind of crazy cool on because like that's one of the things i kind of noticed was you kind of you know i've been you know just as a fan of metal and country and i play like a bastardized version of country myself i always kind of keep an eye out for what's happening and what thing and you guys just kind of came from left field like straight away and even when i was kind of doing research for this podcast i think the earliest profile picture on your facebook was like september of last year 
you know, the first thing right. was December. And it has, like, from an outsider perspective, it has been so quick. And I've never really seen an outfit or a band, you know, get its feet so fast. And that obviously speaks to the uh, kind of veteran experience of the other band members. But scaling back to, you know, your personal experience with silo and going into the studio how was your like vocals and approach to things before silo did you realize that kind of there was like a a space that you needed to fill and adjusted to that or was it you know this is my strengths and bring it to silo great great question um so i was always uh, a singer and performer but not in a, in a very professional or dedicated capacity. Mm. Um, so I could sing everything. I could sing along on the radio. I could sing to Christmas tunes. I could, you know, rap along and keep, you know, time and rhythm at high BPMs. I could kind of do it all um, and do impressions of people. So I think there was something about just developing an ear yeah. and being able to create different voices um, and I think one of the hardest things that anybody does who's trying to be a singer songwriter is how do you discover your voice? What is the most natural way? Mm-hmm. You know, do you try to sing or do you try to speak with melody? You know, and there's a lot of different approaches. I don't think there's any one right or wrong, but for me, um, it, be, it became very natural to sing very deep, to use the timbre, yeah. you know, to exist in that Johnny Cash, Garth Brooks, you know, Trace Adkins, uh, or even, you know, like Disturbed or Papa Het and Metallica. You know, there's some some deep, deep voices that can kind of uh, sing melodically. Villavallo, him mm. out of Finland. You know, there's a lot of these sort of operatic voices. Meatloaf, another one. Um, a lot of these operatic voices. And that was kind of what I always had 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 done. And it was only because that was the comfortable register to sing with my acoustic guitar in the living room. Yeah. You know, it wasn't until, gosh, just a couple of years ago that I finally heard myself like through a microphone and on a monitor. And I was like, oh, that's what I sound like outside of my head. And that, it, the, the development of, yeah, like you said, filling that space and trying to figure out how you sound cool and not forced and controlling breath, you know, all of these things were not just step up and do it like you thought all the greats did as a kid. Um, mm. There's definitely a little more technique and practice to it. For Silo specifically, I came in very straightforward, trying to be, you know, an Eric Church or a country singer in that way, like a Luke Combs mm. that was just trying to be on top of the track as a country singer. The thing that I found the most difficult about the production was trying to develop melody lines and lyrics and sing it in a way that carried the energy of the music behind it of Mm. the production that was where i felt that it was a difficult gap to kind of you know leap up to that next stage because country is pretty mild there's some you know harder core slapping country people and you know they've got some you know some hard rocking stuff but not nothing like what brian and adrian were bringing in terms of the guitar riffs Mm. and the production and one of our things with the music was always to take something metal, make it more country. Mm. You know, uh, if we're listening to a song and we're like, man, that sounds great, but that's just Avenged Sevenfold. We go, we'll add banjo, you know, <laughs> or, or th- call the fiddle player, 
you know, whatever we need to, to get that other texture that kind of gives us a regional sound of where we are in yeah. a way. And it's the same thing with the vocals. So our approach, which I'm not sure if it's even an approach or if it's the right way, but it's just what we've done has been, I will typically sing lyrics with more of a country voice, mm. you know, a little bit of the draw that I have from just being, you know, from Colorado, but we're not Texas, you mm. know? Um, and so it, it's been really interesting to find that, that mix in that voice. But if it's a, if it's a Johnny Cash meets Slipknot, I can hear that. I can yeah. say, okay, yeah, we're going to, I'm always in the studio in the booth and the guys are going more ham, more ham. <laughs> Cause I'll be trying to sing something and it'll come out a little too Jared Leto, mm. you know, a little too ethereal. And they're like more ham. You got to really ham it up. And so we'll do some takes of that. And then we might need to, you know, pull back the, the ham aesthetic. And then we will go in and do these big vocal choruses where I can really lift and sail. And because I was never classically trained or, or, or practiced, you know, it sort of just comes in a, in a, I don't know, fresh isn't the right word, but it just is, it's how I would think to sing yeah. these big choruses. And um, it's funny, I played the demo for Glitter and Gold for my little brother in the car. And he looks at me and goes, who's, who's singing this part? And I'm like, that's me. And he, he just was blown away <laughs> because they'd always heard the, the other piece. But um, yeah, it, it's it's definitely a challenge but it's been a lot of fun and the thing is is that it's really the two genres that each the, each of the four of us band members love and it's what we kind of grew up listening to and while they've danced close to each other they haven't really yeah. collided so hard as to what we were trying to do and I'm just so glad that the feedback has been positive. You know, if it was, I would have been happy just making music in a barn with these three other knuckleheads, just trying to make each other laugh and, you know, but the, the feedback has been really, really awesome. So. Yeah. I think that kind of speaks to, you know, country music. You have the eternal argument about pop country and stuff. That's kind of been, it's been argued about since the Opry fucking opened about like what popular country is and how it's taken away from the roots and stuff. But country exactly. is a lot more open-minded than people give it credit for. There's always the vocal majority who are, you know, the top 40 or whatever of country charts. That's what they'll live and die by. But a lot more people give a shit about a wider genre of country. And you find it with a lot of artists where they had metal and punk roots bring it through. And I don't think I've met a more open-minded genre than metal. Because, like, you obviously have, like, the black metal heads who are just, like, you know, if it's not a Norwegian church burning down in a shitty voice, like male memo of a recording, they don't give a fuck about it. But outside right. of that, they like the majority of metal audiences are a lot more open-minded. And obviously, Johnny Cash is kind of an honorary metalhead. He's on so much imagery of, you know, metal music that when I first heard you guys, I was like, of course this should have happened. Because you obviously, you have yeah. Hank 3 and you have that kind of thing with like the Texas Hippie Coalition or, you know, that type of Southern rock heavier bands. But then you have the bands like Pantera and Lamb of God who have those Southern roots bringing it to a heavier style. So when I first heard you guys and you had like the light intro of Warpaint and then the breakdown, I was like, this is fucking perfect. But I think <laughs> what you were kind of like saying and what I like 
is an important thing to see is when you try to find your voice. Because I remember when I first started singing, I was in a thrash metal band. And like I did like a James Hetfield impression and a Pearl Jam impression. I was doing James Hetfield and like Kill 'em All when I was trying to scream and I was doing Eddie Vedder trying to like <laughs> when I was singing. Yeah. Clean. And the older you get and the more you sing, you do try and find your own voice and you realize that, you know, Lemmy wouldn't have ever won the voice. No one like if Lemmy had shown up on like a pop like TV show, right. no one would have paid attention to him because Lemmy No one would have like, turned around. Because Lemmy's got such a unique voice that you don't, it wouldn't get the respect it deserves in like the pop thing. But, you know, he's done country tracks and they've worked. He's obviously done all the metal and punk stuff and it's worked. And finding your own voice is a thing that I think a lot of people don't try to do, especially in terms of, you know, singing. People think you either can sing or you can't. And they just don't try. It's like they don't realize the effort you have to put in to find your own voice. Right. I don't remember who originally said it, but this reminds me of a quote where um, it's something along the lines of, you know, it took me a long time to look like an overnight success, Mm. you know, to really kind of come onto the scene and be like, well, who's this? You know, they've never done anything before. Well, they no one's heard the 20,000 hours that I spent singing and playing at home, you know, Um, that is kind of the me time that it took to get to that point. And when it comes to finding your voice, you know, it's a hard thing because you're trying to perform Mm. and you're trying to record and you're trying to produce and you're trying to write and do all of these things that, that really line up for something that's enjoyable to listen to. Cause if it's not, then nobody will listen to it. And it's kind of, you know, I'm all for people being hobbyists, musicians and songwriters and everything. But then there's a different line of somebody that really takes you know, their craft to the next level and wants to invest in it. Yeah. And for me, it's, it's so funny because I find that after about the eighth or 10th take, I get so tired of it that I stop acting and performing. And that's usually when we get it. It's either the first or the 10th after I'm too tired, (laughs) you know? So it's, Mm. it's, it's fun to, to be exploring this for the first time. You know, I've never been in a music video until Silo and never been in a real recording studio other than just messing around with friends, you know, but never worked with a real producer or mastering engineers or even, you know, people that could actually play their instruments, hardly. So it was a pleasure for me to kind of step up and go, oh, there's other people that think like me. Yeah. And, you know, the thing about our band culture is that we realize that you might spend an hour, an hour and a half with somebody on stage and that's what everybody else thinks of you, but it's the other 22 and a half hours in a bus mm. that you're going to have to realize, am I okay smelling this person's ass? <clears throat> you know, am I okay, you know, smelling them cook their fish in the microwave? Are they going to be <laughs> nice and respectful? And the thing is that we did find, you know, four brothers mm. in this, you know, I've found the older brothers that I never had. And uh, it, I just, again, I, I'm going to keep saying it. I could not be more grateful to have been, you know, mm. a part of this and to uh, <clears throat> see where it can go now because mm. we're really kind of, you know, the proof of concept is there and it's the sky's the limit for silo. Mm. Do you think like, obviously with COVID having affected your job and stuff, do you think you would have ended up in silo? if the pandemic hadn't really happened it kind of seemed like all these stars aligned to like form like this meeting probably not um 
probably not. It probably had to happen. Something as awful as a pandemic and everybody getting locked at home for mm. a year and all the, you know, the, the tragic deaths and everything that kind of all had to happen from even me to be sitting right here chatting with you. Um, I, I'm not saying that I don't think it could have also happened if I just was working at the car dealership and one day bumped into somebody or happened yeah. to be texting someone and, you know, silo could have happened, but I had to have been looking for something completely new yeah. to get into. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of my time to go. I have the time I have, you know, the, the willingness to do it and to commit, you know, my life to, to try yeah. and do this now. And it, it has just been so the lightning in the bottle is a perfect analogy. All the, all the stars aligned. That was even one of the band names that we had thought <laughs> we'd thrown around at one point. Um, just cause it had felt like that. Mm. Um, I don't think it could have happened any other way. Uh, I don't know if I would have wanted it to happen any other way yeah. because, you know, once we got our tests and stuff and were able to show up at the studio and just work the, the, four of us being locked in a barn over a long weekend with three other guys who want to do the same thing as you, you know, you become incredibly productive. Yeah. And, you know, I think everybody was kind of itching to get out and do something. Um, We write uh, very remotely and we, you know, we're only now catching up to where we have new material. Everything that was written was from the Mm. last 10 years that these guys had just been recording at home. But, yeah, the the pandemic. What it's a blessing in disguise. You know, it's also it, it's been horrible, um, but I don't think it could have happened without yeah. everybody being sent home and mm. sitting inside and kind of looking for the next things to do. It's weird, man, and I think that like what your situation is and how it came to be. I, I think a lot of like I always think complacency and like comfort is always detrimental to someone who's creative. Because if you get comfortable and you realize that you don't have to go out and necessarily perform or you don't have to look for the next opportunity, you kind of do become like stagnant and you don't really look for those opportunities. And yours is a perfect example of, you know, this happens and you have like the right headspace and the right motivation to start looking for something that's not only going to, you know, hopefully become like an income generator, but it's something that will like personally fulfill you. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, that's the best way to describe it is that it's something that we all want to do regardless mm. of anything else. Yeah. And merely just because, you know, I think Brian had mentioned or Eric that when they were growing up out in the farm towns, there's only two radio stations. Yeah. You know, the, the country station and the rock station. And so as a, as a market opportunity, he was looking at this saying, you know, I know this exists. He goes... I've got the guy who's listening to Lamb of God who pulls up to my shop in his pickup truck and then he gets out and he's humming the words to Johnny Cash as he's walking in and he goes, that's my guy. You know, that's mm. the people in the world who are going to like this. Yeah. Um, and it it's so hard to consider this whole last year a blessing, but it really has been for me. Yeah. Um, in terms of the band and music and stuff. And yeah, the, it filled that creative thing that, like you said, was, was probably missing by just sitting inside watching Netflix all day. Mm. So. Definitely, yeah, definitely, man. Um, from obviously silo happening so fast, what was, like, obviously you wrote the lyrics 
for a lot of things, what was kind of your mentality or process going in? So was a lot of the tracks actually recorded like the music wise and you came in with the lyrics? Yes, um, to an extent. So to back up a, a little bit again, um, I was a writer. So I spent a lot of time writing all the mm. way back from uh, high school, writing books and trying to sell screenplays and movies and mm. poetry and songs eventually. And I always had taken a very commercial pop, you know, top 40 hit songwriter structure approach. I just did. Cause I was like, if I want to make it as, you know, a career songwriter, a staff writer, there's a certain number of structures that yeah. radio follows. You know, it doesn't mean I don't write other things that I just do for fun, but in terms of practicing the craft of the structure, uh, that has always been around. And, you know, we, I probably, I would say I would probably do 90% of the lyrics, mm. 90% of them are me and they come from uh, something that, you know, one of the guys has said, or it's a story or it's something from my life. Um, and then once we get, an initial instrumental track down with maybe some drums or other effects or something built into it. Mm. Then they'll usually uh, just upload that instrumental version of that for me. And I can listen to it at home and write, do whatever I want. Um, and I will usually bring, and this is in most cases, obviously there's exceptions, but in most cases I will bring 90 to 95% of the song and the, and the lyrics and the melody and everything to the band Mm. And then I, I'll work with our producer and bass player, Eric, who's a co-writer. And um, he's that last little, you know, th that yeah. little crit critique where he says, say and instead of but, or say you instead of, you know, this, mm. that, that kind of thing where it'll be just those tweaks or he'll come up with like a whole line and we'll scrap it. And then I'll go back and go, well, no, this needs to be in the first verse now. Cause that changed the whole thing. Now I, I love this. And we, we just run through uh, doing it. And then he and I usually have vocal sessions where the other two guys aren't typically there. That wasn't always the case, but we're getting a little more productive that way mm. where anytime we're all in the studio, we're trying to get as much instrumental as we can while the guitar players are there. So yeah. We have the, the, the two guitar players, Adrian and Brian, and depending on whose you know, song it is, it's usually one of the two of them brings their song idea. And then from there, you know, I input a story or an idea, and then Eric is ultimately the producer, engineer, and, and a co-writer on it. And then, and then we all kind of finish it as silo. Yeah. Decide, oh, this needs saloon piano, or this needs a <laughs> triangle, or this needs you know, fiddle or banjo. And uh, that is sort of the formula for, for how it works. Mm. In terms of the lyrical content, it all depends. You know, I'll write stories, I'll write stuff that's incredibly personal, and then, you know, we'll change it so that it's more of a universal theme. Yeah. And it's not just about my experience anymore. Um, so there's, again, there's no right or wrong way that we do it. We just mm. try to get it done. And yeah, and yeah I mean, we're, we're just hard workers. We yeah. like to dick around every, you know, every hour there's about a 10 minute period or we just try to make each other laugh as hard as we can. <laughs> Someone's balls come out or, you know, there's a, <laughs> a bad fart or something, you know, but that's, that's band life, I guess. It's sort of life in the circus. Yeah. And then it's, I'll sit there and watch the room and it's almost like clockwork. After you get the laughs out of the way, all of a sudden everybody syncs up again and yeah. it's like back to work. And it's like, there's nothing else that exists outside of the barn. So it's a time vacuum too, because we don't see the sun go up or down really. 
Mm. So it's kind of crazy, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's a very um, creative and respectful place and environment that we come up with together. And I think there's a mutual admiration society. Mm. Everybody thinks that everyone else in the band is better. So we're all, we're just fans of each other. And that's, you know, it's kept level heads for yeah. sure. Cool, man. And going back to you being like a screenwriter and things, what was kind of your like beginning in that? What was your guide to that? Did you study it in like high school and college and things? Or was it a passion that you picked up being inspired by other like films and books? Both. Um, I was never a big reader. I was, was more of a producer. You know, I, I always wanted to write more than I wanted to read. And I was sitting in school one day thinking, well, how can you make a lot of money and meet girls? And I was like, I'll just be an author. <laughs> and so I started thinking of ideas for, for books and projects. And I was like, well, I like, I like heist movies and clever, like high crime gentlemen, mm. you know, uh, Danny Oceans and um, things like that. And it, it occurred to me that I could write a very, very cool caper. I could probably do one better than most of the things I've seen, I thought. And so I wrote a shitty manuscript, got it most of the way done, but it was just more of the practice of doing it. Yeah. And I realized that's what I like doing. It wasn't about this was ever going to get sold or be, you know, go to an agent or anything. And about a year later in my first year of college, I was sitting with my roommate and we were watching Wes Anderson's Darjeeling Limited. Mm. And there's a scene where, Adrian Brody's running across a train platform at the beginning as they start sort of the opening title sequence and they start playing this time tomorrow by the kinks. And it occurred to me as I was watching this and it was like the, the shot went to slow-mo and the song comes on and it was the perfect mood for what was happening. Mm. And that's when something occurred to me, like did somebody have to write that that song started at that exact moment at the same mm. slow motion and so I was like, well, I know that there has to be a script for movies and TV. And I went and got online and found what screenplays looked like. And I said, well, shit, I can do that. There's less words. It's got to be easier. <laughs> and so I just crapped an idea out in a screenplay format. It was horrible. <laughs> um, it was so bad. Except I had a guy who was a producer in Denver that said he loved it. He mm. goes, yeah, we can work on the formatting and some of the structure, but it moved him. Uh, and so he optioned it for me and I was like, wow, this is the rest of my life. If I can just sell ideas that are half written, you know, over a few days, you know, I'm, I'm set, forget school. Mm. Uh, a couple years later, I'm working as just a staff writer doing complete spam ads, like for Dex, which is one of our phone books or directories. Mm. And um, I get an email from some guy that is in California and he's like, Hey, we just read one of your scripts and we think this could be really hot. Can you, you know, we have a chat with you. And it was the heist movie that I had turned into a screenplay. Sick. Yeah. So that was sort of my, I was like, well, wait a minute, I've got people interested in talking to me now, but again, it was always a pipe dream. Yeah. There's always, Oh, if you do one more revision, you know, then we can take it to market and get it sold. Oh, you know, if we got it to Johnny Depp's agent in time, you know, we could, probably have got it sold oh if you had you know a wealthy uncle who lived in the hills you know we could have probably have got this bought in time so it just was always chasing but i kept at it and i eventually realized no what i wanted to be was a producer mm. i wanted to be somebody that could write and could give input but really find the money you know oversee a production and see a bigger project so 
that just was a, it was a career shift. And so I tried to be in development for a little bit and put projects together, get other writers involved. I um, optioned a young adult novel series that a coworker of mine had written that was very mm. Twilight meets like Inception. It was about <laughs> dream assassins. And I was like, right after Twilight had been a big hit. And I was like, this is great. Dream assassins in high school. Like it sold itself. Yeah. So I called the, I called my manager and was like, Hey, I've got this project. And he goes, okay, say no more. I want to talk to you guys later tonight. Um, and it was always things like that, you know, little options here. Someone would buy it, you know, that little bit of money that you'd get for a script sale um, until it finally got to like production was nothing. Mm. You know, I was living below minimum wage, you know, for a long time. My biggest benefactor was my grandmother or, uh, you know, I was working as a bartender. Um, gosh, I did a lot of shit. I sold cars you know, just trying to, trying to make ends meet, um, and, you know, got some help, had to really cut corners and really was like, you know, eking it out. And, uh, that was sort of how, like, you know, it's still something that I do even mm. just before we jumped on, I'll usually scribble out a couple of scenes or something just on a project that yeah. I'm working on again as an exercise. Um, but what's really interesting about this all is that I realized I was writing a Western that I wanted to star in a few <laughs> years ago um, about Butch Cassidy, the bank robber. And I was like, the way I want to do it is I want to go into the woods with one camera and one actor. And basically, if it was me, play this role kind of like Leonardo DiCaprio did in The Revenant, mm. where it's Butch Cassidy on the run after the first bank robbery in Telluride here. And that project got shelved. I started, you know, working 70 hours at a car dealership, busting my ass on ice and shoveling cars off and doing test drives, everything you could imagine. Just that it's kind of crazy about working at a dealership and sure as shit. As soon as silo starts, I, I look down and realize I'm standing in cowboy boots and a bandit mask in a cowboy hat with blood splatter on me you know, about to get strung upside down in a Western for our war paint music video. Yeah. And so it was very funny to me how full circle it all mm. came. I was like, man, I'm actually out here shooting a Western. There's film trucks and crew and yeah. lighting, and, you know, splashbacks and effects and makeup and everything. It was kind of surreal because it, it confirmed that I was like, you know, these things do happen. Yeah. Those, those kids that think, hey, I'm going to just like you're laying in bed listening to your music at night, you're just singing at the top of your lungs silently because that's what you would want to do is perform the music moves you. And this shit happens. Yeah. It really does. You know, it yeah. maybe doesn't present itself in the way that you had envisioned, but it does come. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, man, because like weirdly enough, I'm in the middle of writing a screenplay. Like I've no had kidding. like an idea for a while and I, I write my own comics and we like me and my friends, like we independently publish them, go to comic cons around the UK and stuff. And that was really fun. And I had this idea for like, I was doing like a short series of comics and was like, mm -hmm. I want to make this like a horror film. So I started writing it. And as I'm writing it and things, you kind of, as a musician, you realize how valuable music is because there's an immediacy to the music business or industry that you don't get in other things. Like I know, Right. I write a comic or I write a script. It may never see the light of day or it's going to take a team of people to get it done. Well, if I grab a guitar, I can fucking head out 
and play it there was it was it a shock to see the immediacy of the music thing compared to that, like the slow moving ideas of like screenwriting and books yes um because i was so new to music and production mm. on a professional level um they would send me the first demo back and i'm looking at them going shit guys put it on the radio you know and they're like no no no, no that sounds awful that's just the first pass you know it's got to go yeah. through multiple mixings and then they'll master it and you know it'll really it'll be sent to multiple people in multiple parts of the country for mastering and different sound. I'm sorry if you can hear any of that noise. You're doing construction right outside. Behind oh, it's cool. Story right but um, yeah, it, it, the immediacy was a little shocking mm. in that within a month of recording our single, I was being asked to write a music video just because that was like, they're like, well, you're the screenwriter, you know, fucking do it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, it was cool. But again, it was one of the first times that I had seen something that i'd written actually come to fruition i'm on yeah. a soundstage with the director who's got my shot list out and he's knocking it out so i mean it was really cool again i don't think that my dream of being a screenwriter and a producer are you know it, it became true through something that i did not even think was going to be related to it mm. i thought i was going to be just in a studio doing songs and maybe someday play shows or even a festival like even a festival maybe <laughs> like if someone wanted us to like if we had to pay to be on a festival for a buy on or whatever we would do that and that would be the extent of silo mm. um and so i it was a little crazy to me that that was the avenue that my writing became something that was being filmed and i it all came very very full circle yeah it's crazy man and I always kind of see, like, I just finished watching the Defiant Ones on Netflix, the um, mm -hmm. Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre documentary. Yeah, and awesome it's, documentary. It's interesting, and it was so, like, interesting and inspiring, and it always proves the kind of point that if you wait for someone else to give you the green light, you're going to be stuck on a red light for years and years, and it's when someone's equally motivated and gives a shit that the project actually gets going. Yeah, absolutely. There's something to that. You know, th there's a lot of people who are amazing dreamers and thinkers and everyone has amazing ideas. And, oh man, if I, if I told, if I had a dollar or a pound for every time that somebody came up to me knowing that I did screenwriting and they said, I've got an idea for a movie. <laughs> if only somebody would write it. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's the whole thing. That, that's, that's everything. You know, I could walk up and have 25 movie ideas, but how many people are actually going to sit in the chair for a year and make it something, you know, or six months or three months, however long it takes to get some of these things fleshed out, who's actually going to sit there and get that work done from yeah. page one to, to the end, you know, and that's, that's really the difference. It's the difference between the, the wish and the going out and the actionable steps to get out and do it. Yeah, man, it's the who wants it more thing. And I think that's what I really respect about you and what you've done is you, oh, thank like, you. like not only like even just going through Craigslist, like people would browse that. And maybe a few people probably saw the same list and you did. But the difference between you and them is you fucking picked up the phone. You actually went and did something. And, you know, Brian as well went to Denver. He didn't just, you know, go, oh yeah, that would be nice. And then just sit there. 
Like I've seen right. so many artists that are like, you take a horse to water and you just watch them die of thirst. Right. And you're like, why the fuck are you just spinning your wheels? Like people talk about wanting it so badly, but then don't put any work in. And it's like, I was talking to my girlfriend about it the other day because it just baffles me when people talk a good game and then don't do anything about it. Right. You know, and that's, I think because talk is cheap. Yeah. You know, ideas are cheap. It's easy to impress somebody and say, hey, I have an idea that I've had for a novel for years. And it's like, that's probably a good idea. But it's the, do you have the, the amazing execution to go with it? Yeah. Um, I have to give all the credit really to Brian. Brian mm-hmm. is, he said before, he's like the slave driver. He's the master. He's the, he's the guy. He's the ringleader is really mm-hmm. the, the best way to put it. Yeah. It, well, I'd made a note because I listened to the interview where he talked about being a slave driver and talking about the brand and the social media and stuff. From your personal sp- perspective, has that, because obviously you sound like a movie guy, you've done, you know, the scripts, the screenwritings, the music. Was it, did you find you had to step up your motivation to match his or was it every, all? Yeah, every day, man. I'm sorry to cut you off. No. But yeah, every, yeah, every single day. Because there's just something that the other three of us in Silo have to realize. It's that mm. we will never be able to work as hard as Brian does. Mm. You know, this is his baby through and through and it's his passion project and you know he's the primary um uh benefactor in kind of producing this thing so far you know everybody's put in a lot of sweat equity but when it comes down to it brian's the guy who's like okay if we need a guitar if we need to rent a soundstage you know whatever it takes let's just go um and he's the one that is behind the scenes doing all of our distribution and Mm. registrations and like you know PROs and everything so he's really it's the ringleader but he's also the guy building the tent at the same time and unloading the train and training the bears I mean he's all of it Mm. um silo would not be where it is without Brian the Mm. the fact that he works he must work 24 7 I've suspected he's a vampire (laughs) but I mean because he just looks like one of those dudes that you'd see in like a you know castle and and gosh i don't know czechoslovakia <laughs> some sort of you know nordic lord he just look <laughs> he has that he has that look and i don't think the dude sleeps it's amazing <laughs> but yeah it, it it could not have happened without him mm. and the rest it made me step up my game because i've already felt like you know if most of the world is running at 75 miles per hour i'm going about 100 i think brian's doing about a buck 30 (laughs) you know so it was definitely a change for me because i have to hit the ground running every day my phone does not stop anymore with notifications from our social media Mm. since it's usually one of the few of us on uh on talking to people and trying to respond and stay engaged but it's just, it's so much. You, can, you can't put it down for 15 minutes without having, you know, to go in and clear everything and respond to people and, and just make sure you're on top of all of the different avenues that he has set up for us. Um, but at the same time, that's also one of the reasons why things have gone so quickly. You know, we're yeah. trying to build a following and, you know, if until we all get together and can kind of be more of a band and an image right now, you know, with, with COVID and everything until Brian gets back to Denver, 
you know, it's hard. We have to do things like memes and little silly videos with each one of us. And yeah. Well, that was one of the things I was going to ask was, you know, it is like what I've really enjoyed about seeing your social media and things. And it kind of makes sense when you talk about your background in marketing and you know, all the members of the band have like a similar experience is it is so well marketed. And again, it's like a lot of musicians don't really think that that's a necessity and it 100% is. And what I've seen, like whose idea was it for like the memes or to go with that kind of way? Cause that seems to get the most traction. Yeah. It, it's kind of funny. So we will spend five to $20,000 on a music video. The word paint video was like 20 grand. Yeah. It was a lot of money because there was an anamorphic lens. Like I said, we had lighting and makeup. Mm. Uh, we had a Marvel visual effects artist on it doing some of the blood splatter and stuff. So, I mean, we're trying to put it to a level that makes yeah. it, you know, but that video is not doing nearly as well as a girl twerking to one of our songs with a horse headbanging. Or we just put up um, Darth Maul from episode one with instead of a double lightsaber he's got an acoustic and a gibson sg on the other side and it's like country and metal and it's like that and he put a cowboy hat on <laughs> so i mean th the thing is is that those the, the memes and the humor from the page is who we are that's just the kind of shit that makes us laugh um for the most part in terms of like the the, the picture memes that go out usually brian mm. um most of the stories or, you know, the things about, um, you know, if we're in the studio or whatever, that's usually me. Yeah. Cause did you write the bio? Um, yeah. Well, we, we, again, it was, it was rewritten. And mm. the thing is, is that that was, you know, we said every band has, every band is hailed from somewhere and is set out on this mission after bands and bands and bands. And we said, Let's make it about the music. Yeah. Let's make it about the world that this music exists in and tell a story about like the desolate wasteland of mainstream and that here's this completely new thing that is thundering from the mountains, like, you know, mm. Rocky Mountain Thunder. Yeah. And so, yeah, a lot of the, the blogs and the, the stories and stuff come from me just because Brian's like, I need a story. And I'm like, okay, let me come up with something. Mm. It's, it's so interesting, man. And like with obviously the memes get a good chunk of engagement. Have you noticed that that has related through to people becoming engaged? Because obviously you're dropping serious money on creating these videos and things that then justifies the kind of like, it's not just like you click through and it's like a dude in a bedroom strumming an acoustic guitar. It's a fucking fully fledged, fully produced, incredible music video. Have you noticed that the memes and like that kind of marketing's work to help build the fan base and engage it. Yeah, without question, without without debate. I mean, it it speaks to our demographic, which is it has balanced out to more of a you know a balance between male female and non-binary. Um, but in a in a large way, it's males eighteen to thirty-two. Yeah. You know. And so we kind of, we, we have to know our audience to an extent and um, that, I mean, meme, meme culture is so important now, whether yeah. we admit it or not, or we like it or not, like people communicate through meme. You don't just send somebody a joke you wrote or something funny you thought of anymore. You send them a meme you saw. 
you know, so there's a communication piece that I think has come through with the memes. And it's so funny. We'll literally see on our music video comments that people will say, I came here for the twerking girl and stayed for the music. And it's <laughs> like, that's, that's perfect. Why? Mm. You know, that's, it, that means that that little piece of fish hook and bait did exactly what it was supposed to do, yeah. which it was to lure you know, people in who might be interested in listening to us, mm. you know, and we get a lot of haters for every day. We get somebody who says, you guys think you invented this and there's Hank three, you know, I get that every day, you know, and everyone thinks they're clever, like commenting or write, writing us in or DMing us and saying, Oh, you think you're, you're Hank three. I mean, you didn't invent no hardcore country. It's like, we didn't say we did. We just tried to do it a different way. Yeah. And after a while we go, but did you listen to our, our shit? Then they usually write back and go, actually, I listened to your album. It's pretty fucking good. You guys <laughs> got a new fan. It's like that. We don't care. I mean, yeah. and then for every hundred, one of those, there's somebody that's a hater. And with that, just get rid of it. You know, yeah. you have to just push it to the side. There's not, there's not enough time for it. Haters are fun to engage with, to poke fun at and they're trying to get something out of the artist or you know whatever they're they're trolling but that's all it is and that's an important piece of culture too because sometimes people go to social media just to look for the negative comments yeah but if somebody's going to be doing something inherently hateful or just downright like mean you know we could run down the list of anything anybody could do nowadays but we just we just block it just yeah. get rid of them you know Mm. wipe it clean there's too many people and there's you know there's too many people still in the world that are going to love silo and and like us as a group of four guys making this type of music to to waste our time even arguing or you know sinking to that level yeah man, i think that's a thing that kind of is sort of becoming aware of now where it's like there's a hundred percent free speech but it's not free speech on my fucking platform. If someone wants to talk shit on my comments, I'll just straight up delete them. And that's right. a thing you don't really realize. But what I noticed with you guys was you have a really good understanding of your core demographic and it's a younger demographic because I noticed, you know, in terms of just looking at numbers, the Facebook and the Twitter aren't as high as the Instagram and Spotify, which mm-hmm. shows you like, obviously with the memes, it shows you have an understanding of who's listening to you and who's, actually you know putting in the legwork and who's supporting you that's a really interesting thing that obviously it makes sense with you guys having a marketing background but do you sit down and write like marketing strategies for silo do you go into like that level of marketing and you know analytics and things for you guys just because as a podcast i really think again people don't understand the importance of marketing and it's always seen as a dirty word so i want to try and get more people actively paying attention to the analytics. right 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 the 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 short answer is yes mm. absolutely um and it wasn't like we said well who listens to this type of music and how do we target them it was more once we put music out what are the analytics and the demographics coming back as and then mm. there's a it's it's not pandering because we're just going to do what we do anyways um but w- where the there there is a marketing strategy actually it's interesting you've asked that But um, we do have meetings and we do talk about ancillary product lines and Mm. we are not scared to sell out. That is, you know, there's a negative connotation there. And I understand if, if 
Procter and Gamble came to us and said, you guys have to write a hardcore country song about adult diapers <laughs> and we'll pay you this. And it's like, well, that's not what we're about. And I understand that side of selling out. But at the same time, if we're going to go get, you know, a sponsor or somebody on the road, you know, to, to facilitate the show, we are not scared of that. And yeah. so that has to come again, just from my experience in development and we have an office manager and a business owner and a marketing guru, all who are also band members of silo. So, mm. you know, again, it's who are you partnering with and investing with for the other 22 hours of your day yeah. trying to make your band work? You know, there's, oh man, dude, like there are so many talented musicians and guitar players and singers and songwriters and bands and rappers and influencers. There's just so many. But until you have a plan for how to put one foot in front of the other, how to build the boat before you start sailing, you know, you're just, the chances of you making it are going to be so much lower. Yeah. And it's hard because people who don't know anything about this, you go, well, I don't know how to make a t-shirt or I don't know the first thing about a performance rights organization or about copyright or trademark or building a website or orchestrating a sales funnel. Any of these things that are crucial to you know, a band is a business. Mm. And that's, a, we, our product is music and content. That's, if people, especially anybody who's you know, thinking about doing this, seriously or is already and is just kind of missing there's a missing piece it feels like you know you're just not your demos aren't getting noticed and geffen hasn't signed you and you're not on tour it's probably because you're trying to go from the first step to the 16th step yeah without taking two three four five six all the way up you know and so on so in terms of like how well prepared you can be as a musician or a, a band or a, a startup or a business or whatever you want to call it, you have to understand how to reach people, how to convert them, how many times you're going to be in front of them before they decide they like you, how to try to monetize, you know, merchandise and shows and have a brand, Yeah, you know? There's a lot of bands that have lightning bolts that make the, the name of the band. You know, there's a lot of bands that use uh, nautical stars or funny, you know, the, 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 not the cliches, but they're just things that are already built into the culture. Yeah. You know, they're already in the culture of the alternative world of metal and rock and those things all exist. And if you want somebody who's, you know, they don't want the 30th version of the band they've already heard. They want some guys who are going to go yeehaw and put banjo on a metal song and who, you know, yeah, and who are inherently likable. And so you have to piece all those things together to really even have a chance at, at succeeding. And even then it's still such an uphill battle. You know, we are still scrambling trying to get people to listen and put us yeah. on radios and, and everything you know i think we're blocked by sirius xm right now uh the octane channel on twitter because <laughs> we linked anybody who was in our guitar giveaway to tag them and say yeah. hey you guys should play silo and so many people did that they blocked us <laughs> <laughs> so it's like can you go too far can you be too good at what you do yeah and that's the stuff that we're learning too mm. um so as much as I have a strategy, Brian is very much a fly by the seat of your pants at 140 miles an hour. 
and just see kind of what is still on fire once he's done moving. <laughs> That's kind of what, and then anything that we might, we might throw some gasoline on it, you know? So yeah. there's, what's nice is, is again, the synergies of, we all kind of balance each other out, you know? Someone thinks they're not doing enough. Someone thinks they're doing too much. It's always, you know, a, about bringing together that core again. And it's, you know, we need to strategize about how to give our music away. Cause I mean, you can't really sell music anymore no. unless you're selling physical, you know, media and vinyl or something, which we, we've talked about and we do, but you know, we're more excited about selling panties, mm. you know, and the, kind of the, some of the novelties that are going to be really cool and kind of unique to silo that are outside of the normal band, you know, things that people can look at every day. You know, you yeah. might not be able to wear a silo t-shirt to work every day, but you might be able to have your silo coffee cup, Yeah, you know? And so all of that is the art to us in a way. It's how do we build the machine that will be big enough to then buy the rest of our time away from anything else yeah. that's what we have to do and you know it doesn't really matter if you're trying to do it exclusively through a big stadium show you know and just be discovered as a musician or just as a live artist in an act you know there's one angle for people that make it that way and then there's other people that just make it they become so stupidly successful and wealthy because somebody danced to their song on tiktok yeah and now it has 200 million impressions like that so there's no right or, again we keep going back to this there's no right or wrong way to doing it but any plan is better than no plan if yeah. there was going to be one thing that i really had to like solidify for anybody who was trying to do what we we're doing any plan is better than no plan and just do it with people that you respect and care about that you care i care more about my three band members success and becoming you know big stars than i do about my own and yeah. I think as long as I'm putting them first and they're doing that same thing with, you know, the respective other three, you know, at least we're all in something for a, a bigger purpose. And that's important too. Definitely. Man. I think that's kind of people lose sight. And what I think COVID did was it took away like the biggest thing that musicians had, which was touring. So people right. had to take a step back and then they realized they were fucked when it's like, I've always kind of viewed things as you have like the biggest pillar is maybe touring. And then you have all the other little, little pillars that will do everything else. And it's like, right. if one gets knocked away, you can still do the rest. Obviously I'm like a huge fucking kiss fan. <laughs> so I've never been scared or like the star child there. <laughs> yeah, man. I've never been like scared of, you know, Brandon or, you know, making merch and stuff obviously i'm not going to make a mike west coffin and stuff but it was like i like this week i'm a year into this podcast because in like february of last year i was like i need to do something else outside of the music that can you know carry me through not touring i didn't even think about not touring not being an option but it was like i need something else to have in kind of like my pillars to do and i think a lot of people go the music is enough and it's not because spotify will fuck you on any of those yeah. like in this day and age the music is unfortunately and it's not fair but it's the way it is right you know and for just to, on the on the inverse of that i always try to keep an optimistic side too you know sure back in the day the dream would be to get discovered in in liverpool or london or la right or a new mm -hmm. york club you just get discovered by an a and r rep who just happens to be sitting there having a drink 
and they go, we're going to give you a million dollars. You're going to be on tour in two weeks, you know, but until then you're going to the studio, you know, and here's the rest of your life laid out that those days are gone. You can no longer sell 5 million copies of a CD and be financially solvent as an artist, you know, in, in perpetuity anymore. It, but that, at the same time, like I was talking to Brian about this recently, I said, do you think Guns N' Roses had like a million global impressions in the first four months that they were a band? You know, mm. like globally, no, they crushed it probably in the sunset scene and maybe up and down the West Coast, you know, uh, they might have had friends in New York or Indiana nashville yeah you know and of course some of the members had you know entertainment connections but it was still a long road for them to be able to get to the point where they were signed by geffen and then they had obviously a massive massive uh, debut but those days unfortunately are kind of gone but Mm. in the way that that's not how it is anymore there are so many more people who are now connected to the internet and the ability to find our music yeah you know, we, uh, UK is one of our biggest audience channels right now on Spotify. And I imagine other places too. Um, that could not have happened in the seventies or eighties, no. not without going and touring or sending physical media or getting, you know, some sort of massive radio play there. So there are different advantages. Are we selling CDs anymore or, you know, right now tour tickets and merch? No, but there's other opportunities. You know, yeah. we are, we're, we're primed right now for everybody to be in digital and exchanging things and these NFTs with like paintings and albums going out. It's a very weird time, but I think we're in a, a in a Renaissance coming. Yeah. And, yeah. I think like, go ahead. Like, I think like what you're saying is hundred percent right. I was reading up on an article today about the um, thousand true fans like concept where it's like you only need a thousand true fans who support you to actually be a successful, you know, artist or creator and things. And it's because in this day and age, you don't need the infrastructure of a major label like Geffen to do all that. You can do direct to fan, you know, sales and support to literally anyone in the world. You can, like if some dude in India digs silo, you can sell that dude a silo t-shirt through your website. You don't have to go through a distribution company that may have a contact in India who then can get it to that guy. You can go, here is a t-shirt, you pay me directly and I will send you it. And it gives more to the artist in itself. And those kind of avenues, people are slowly realizing they're for everyone and you can like make a living and make a success through that way. Absolutely. Um, And and that's the way that we kind of look at it, that there's no wrong way for Silo to make money so that we are supported and that we are supporting our families yeah. and kind of everybody in the circus, you know, cause anybody who's kind of been in this knows that it go- does get to a point where you have your road crew and, you know, wives, girlfriends, kids, depending on how old you are and everything. And you kind of have to learn to be a big traveling circus. And we ha- now have, like you said, an opportunity to connect with more people for much less money mm. Um, with that, you cannot ignore like the hard work that it takes to actually go in and register your shit with the copyright office. Yeah, you know it's like there, there's just so much. They do not make. Brian always says, "Man, they do not make it easy on bands to succeed." And 
is is the process the new gatekeeper i wonder is the actual you know legwork that is was required back in the day to go out and pedal pamphlets or pre-sell tickets you know or just pack a, a show for for the owner is is that now pushed to the back burner while getting followers and pre-sales and downloads and streams is that the new creative collateral i wonder mm, definitely and like i know wrapping my head around like prs like the performing royalty society and ppl to get mm. it registered for radio play try and get it to sync and all that kind of thing is no one teaches you that as a musician you think you can write a right. song and that's it and it's only really when you like i signed up to the musicians union in the uk they hold seminars to teach you how to do those things so it's still, there's so much admin that I think a lot of people aren't prepared for. And then they just go, fuck it. And then they wonder why they aren't making the traction that they should if they were, you know, necessarily registered or looking in the right place to get those opportunities and network. Absolutely. You know, and it's the, the administrative piece. It shocked me when I first had to like start getting in and registering silo songs with the copyright and the ISBN or whatever we all have, yeah. these codes. I was going in and doing that, typing through all this, and I went, there's no fucking way Taylor Swift does this. <laughs> like, she has to have people or there has to be a service, you know, and I guess that's where in some capacity uh, a manager or a label or somebody would give you support with that at some point. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, no one's ever sat down and asked. I mean, I haven't seen the interview with Elton John or Bernie Taupin where they're like, uh, excuse me, Sir Elton, uh, what website do you use to register all your performance right? Like, is he getting on? Like, did he get home from the studio and have a bath and then be like, oh, I've got to jump on the computer and, you know, go log my, my song? Or is, you know, I'm sure there's assistants and teams that do that. I reckon album. someone does it because there's so many musicians that got fucked by tax that I think a lot of the people who were signed back in the day to labels had no real understanding of that thing. And that's why when it came to like, you got an advance of a million dollars. You didn't realize you owed them a million dollars then. Oh, there's that plus. right. So there's that kind of thing. I think where it was like, you know, I reckon if Elton John actually registered, it'd be like zero, 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 one because of how old, <laughs> how old he is. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of musicians of that, it was the convenience of signing into a label meant they didn't have to do that. I mean, but in this day and age, knowing to do that, means more importantly you probably own the rights to your own songs which a lot of artists back in the day didn't right that's important you know so again are we in a better time right now than the classics were you know i think so and years ago? A, a lot of people don't talk about like the kind of like the bad company tours back in the day in the 70s were loss leaders because you looked at the tickets that were like two three dollars you couldn't do a stadium with that they knew that at all would lose them money and they'd make yeah. an album sales, but they didn't when the album sales went away, stop the tour and schedules mm. to do that. So it's like you with like people think that that kind of tour would make you your money back when it wouldn't. So the whole system has been asked backwards for so long. It's kind of this digital age and these new musicians are spinning it around. I mean, like that's not actually the best way to do it and in a living. We can do it independently in a way that's not going to kill ourselves and not gonna, you know, take us away from our families for so long. Cause then so many old rockers are dying from pill, like right. overdoses because they're broken from the road. Yeah. You need something to go up and something to come down and all of it. Yeah. 
it's very sad. Um, but again, I mean, that's one of the reasons why we have different opportunities nowadays. Yeah. You know, we're living in the new modern golden era. You, for a couple hundred dollars or whatever your currency, you can basically conceive a small enough home studio to put down enough of an idea to send it to somebody and see if they want to collaborate. Yeah. You know, send it to 10 people and get nine no's because one person will, you know, be into it. You know, or if you have to go 99 and the hundredth person is the one that says yes, the, the barrier to entry for a lot of this is so much easier for people now. Yeah. I'm excited about that because that's going to mean that there's a lot of great music and content and everything to come out of the independent side. Um, and again, the cream will rise to the top. Yeah. It, it, it will. Um, it just does in all things that I've learned. I've thought you could be a star child <laughs> and yeah, I've, I've thought that you could just be, you know, a, a rock star. If you just were a rock star, if you just had your hit song, if someone just recorded your hit song, that was it. Yeah. And in a lot of ways that can happen, but again, it's that it'll take six years of hard work to make it look like you were the overnight success to everybody else. Yeah, man. It's like, if you look at Tyler Childers, everyone calls him an overnight success, but you see the pictures of him playing in pubs where everyone had their back to him like eight years ago. So <laughs> right. ov- overnight success isn't a thing. Even, you know, Silo has only been around less than a year, but the band members and yourselves have been in the industry and in the business long enough that this isn't an overnight thing. This is years of experience and knowledge being poured into a new project right. to then go forward with. Right. And the, the interesting about thing about silo starting when it did is that we are purely a studio band. Mm. You know, we, we jam and do like some acoustic stuff and we're actually going to be shooting a, a little acoustic video here in a couple weeks, but we've never gone and played a big show together. Mm. You know, and it's just because we haven't been able to. Yeah. And there's some places around the country where shows are happening and people are playing concerts, but we're sort of sitting back and waiting, making sure that all of our ducks are in a row, that, you know, we have enough demand that we can actually build out a, a you know, sizable nationwide tour. Mm. Um, but that'll be the first time that people kind of see us as the band. And it was so interesting to go to the music video shoot and I'll be geared up, dressed up, kind of doing our thing, but just playing to our track that we did mm. in the studio. Um, that was the first time that, you know, a lot of times it's the opposite of that, I feel, that people come together in a basement or a jam space or something or a garage and they'll play for weeks, months, years. They might record at home. They might actually invest some money and go to a studio and then hear the production side of their band. Um, we're the exact opposite of that. Mm. You know, now for us, it's about going, Oh shit. Now we got to build a a (laughs) stage show. That's kind of as big as the sound we were able to come up with in the barn. So there's different challenges that way too. But, uh, I, I, gratitude. That's all I chalk it up to is Mm. that I was ready for the next thing, you know, and when you meet the right people who get behind you as well, and I feel bad for the guy that didn't get the, the gig because apparently there was two of us in contention. Really? But yeah, I don't know anything about the other guy, but uh, 
one of my running jokes with the band, anytime they ask me something, I just go, guys, I just hope I get a B in silo. <laughs> like, you know, if I've never really committed that I'm fully like, you know, made an official member, I'm always trying to get in the band and we'll, we'll stay humble that way. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, we're coming up to the, like, I think we're over an hour mark, man. It's been super fun. It's like, yeah, man. Like, so as we go into the future, obviously you haven't done any, real live shows yet so there's plans for a nationwide tour is there plans for a uk tour of course um we don't have any obviously dates or venues or anything yeah. but people can go to our website it's www.silo.band tour and it's very easy you can just pick your nearest city if you don't see one that's close enough to you anywhere in the list uh, go ahead and just email us or message us on social media mm. and tell us where you live and where you want to see silo come and play and uh we have been getting such great feedback from germany and the uk nice. um yeah i mean honestly some of our our biggest songs have the biggest audience coming directly from the uk so mm. i can't wait to get back and come visit jolly old um and i'm sure some sort of uk european tour will happen at some point Right now we're shooting for maybe this fall or spring next year, mm. kind of depending on how everything goes with vaccinations and reopenings and whatnot. But we're just trying to make as much content as we can. You know, if anybody knows a reality TV producer who wants <laughs> to follow us, you know, hit us up. <laughs> <laughs> Any of that stuff. We're trying to, you know, really shape this. And it's still so new. It's such yeah. new clay that mm. we're still trying to figure out what silo is and who we are as a band and everything too. I, I can and imagine have to keep making music. Has like with the new music, have you started writing a new like record and has that kind of solidified what your voice and lyrical role in silo is? Yes. That's another great question. In fact, it's actually been even easier because we have, we looked at each other and we said, Hey guys, in four months we did over well, six months, we did, um, we did 11 tracks and two covers mm. and now we're able to kind of go, well, now what do we want to write versus what had been written that we yeah. can cater to and make silo. So the process has been easier because we're just getting better at falling into our roles. And it's definitely helped me. I mean, mm. anything that we can do that's outlaw Western bank robbery, you know, trucks, bull riding, you know, yeah. nature, all of that stuff. We're, <laughs> we're really trying to lean into where we're from, which is yeah. the, the beautiful Rocky mountains and uh, headbang the, the fuck out of some shows. Nice. They're just ready to go. I can imagine, man. I think I, I can imagine how frustrating it must've been to get this kind of machine up and running and then not be able to go out and do it live. Yeah. It's been tough, especially cause there's been a lot of requests. Um, we get a lot of amazing stuff from like the U S military and service mm. people, whether it's Hawaii, they're saying, man, we're getting all the service people hooked on you guys, you know? Cause I think even war paint is like, some of these are good, like, you know, workout or like, yeah, man, know, they're good anthems. They pump you up. Yeah. 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 And uh, we heard that a couple of the songs were being played at the United States Capitol in Washington after that insurrection on January 6th really? for the national guard troops who were, <laughs> like on patrol protecting it. So, I mean, that was kind of surreal for me when they were saying like, yeah, your song is being played for these guys who are sleeping on the floor yeah. and eating pizza at the Capitol. That's crazy. Since this attack. And it's like, 
I'm just a kid from Aurora, Colorado that started writing songs and, you know, mm. was selling cars this time last year. Yeah, so, yeah. So, I mean, it really does feel in some part overnight, but there's a lot of sitting around going, I wish we were on tour. Yeah. And that is episode 31 of Into the Van, Into the Bag. Please go check out Silo. They are fucking phenomenal. I hope they hit the UK shores soon. Go check out, you know, the music I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. Let me know what you're listening to as well. I want to hear some of your recommendations so I can find some new music. Please keep supporting the music and the podcast and the media and the things you love because that's the only way they continue to get made. Until next time, guys, peace.